all right all right welcome back to another episode of the health mastery show as usual i'm your host adam mcdonald and in today's episode i have on with me a really interesting guest that is dr mike isertel so dr mike holds a phd in sports physiology and is currently the head of science consulting for renaissance periodization mike was a former professor of exercise and sports science in the School of Public Health at Temple University in Philadelphia, we taught several courses including nutrition, public health, advanced sports nutrition and exercise, nutrition and behavior. So Mike is not a coach per se, but he goes around the world delivering lots of different seminars, specifically on training and nutrition. I met Mike about two weeks ago here in Dublin at the Renaissance Periodization Seminar, and we had a podcast or we recorded this podcast shortly afterwards. But in this episode, we specifically talk about how to progress your volume over time. So from mesocycle to mesocycle or from week to week, because we know from most of the literature now that volume increases over time is going to be the number one determinant factor of hypertrophy or muscle growth. But Mike has a slightly different train of thought of how he actually does that. It's not just always about adding more weight or adding more reps or adding more sets. So we go really in depth into that in this episode and I found it very interesting and I learned a lot so if you do like this episode please do subscribe to the podcast leave a feedback or review on apple Podcasts or itunes or wherever it is that you're listening and if you do want to ask any questions specifically we do have a, qu- a quick fire q a at the end of this which i got from my instagram story so usually i'll post up if i'm going to be uh, getting on a guest or say if you want to have a, a quick fire q a so if you want to follow me there get me at adam mac 192 but without further ado Let's get into this episode with Dr. Mike Isertel. So, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. And how did you enjoy Dublin? I know that we met over the weekend. How was Dublin for you? I know it's not your first time here, right? Totally. It's my second time here and hopefully the last. I hate (laughs) Dublin. I hate the Irish people. Where do I even start? I mean, (laughs) you know, it was just awful. Uh, But on a serious note, um, Dublin's incredible. It's... uh, Everyone is like really real, but also very nice. I guess genuinely nice, you know. Um, and we did go out one of the nights, and holy crap, you guys party! It's a it's a totally different level of partying than than really that I'm used to, and most people in the United States are used to. So, Ireland just definitely lives up to its name. Like, Where did you go? Fuck, I know. You know, there were who knows, man. Some kind of Japanese bar sushi place that turned into a nightclub at some point <laughs> do you do you drink alcohol i don't usually i had a you know since i was in ireland i did have a couple of pints um and it was disgusting as always and i hated it but i was there with a lot of good people good friends and it was a really fun and uh, one thing i do like is that the people seem to just Everyone who goes out in Ireland seems to be, for the most part, just interested in having as much fun as possible. It, you know, in the United States, it's very rare for people to sing songs together in a bar, but it seemed to happen <laughs> all the time, which is really a trip. Yeah, it's actually it's, it's pretty good crack, as we say, so good fun. Yep. So at the seminar at the weekend, one of the specific topics that uh, you talked about, and I think I asked you the actual question, was um, a question around progressing volume. So I think you have a little bit of different insights into maybe what the overall industry would think of on volume in terms of how you progress it um, i know you you kind of have your landmark volume your volume landmarks but when it comes to actual progression of volume from week to week or even mesocycle to mesocycle how do you go about progression of volume because when i specifically ask you a question around total volume you don't seem to use or look at just total or absolute volume from a mesocycle to a mesocycle, correct? Um, you mean as like mathematical volume of poundage? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't look at that for hypertrophy. I actually have no idea what my mathematical volume is at any time. So how do you pro? How do you go about progressing volume over a mesocycle to a mesocycle? Are there specific things that you do? So do you look at reps? Do you look at total weight? Or do you look at uh, total sets? Yeah. So it's usually um, volume is calculated by number of working sets that you do per session and also um, per week, 
right? Depending on how many sessions you have. So the number of working sets is very convenient because as weight gets heavier, it's likely to cause more muscle growth stimulus per repetition, but also cause more fatigue per repetition. So within the range of roughly five rep sets to roughly 30 rep sets, those two sort of tend to scale in such a way that the reduction of reps as you go heavier tends to cancel out with the increase in effect. Thus, sets between five and 30 reps are roughly equally fatiguing to one another and roughly equally stimulative to one another. So the working set allows us to have a way of tracking volume This incredibly simplifies the process because it gives us just a number of one through 15, right, sets per session, maybe one through 40 or something sets per week per muscle group. And because we can use such simple numbers and we don't have to get bogged down into the heavy math of counting sets, reps, weight, distance, etc., cetera, um, we have a huge advantage in having the simplicity of being able to manipulate variables, detect changes, and act appropriately, uh, all because most working sets roughly equivalent in their stimulus and their fatigue, and those are the two big things we want to know and manipulate anyway. So when it comes to progression of, let's say, week to week or even month to month, do you try and push up all areas of volume, so sets, reps, and actual weight on the bar, or do you focus purely on on sets? So, like, I know it's probably difficult for somebody who's more advanced, like for yourself, you're not going to be able to get stronger every single week or necessarily even add reps to a certain exercise. So is that the, the main reason that you focus on sets, or would you recommend that somebody who can progress on all three does progress on all three? Um... I don't, uh, I, I usually like to view in this case, I like to view progression as um, the effect of um, fitness and fatigue dynamics rather than uh, first seeing it as the cause, because it is also the cause, but uh, I think it's best to view it as an effect. Another way to put that is I, I don't necessarily, we don't progress as a matter of course, we don't progress to progress. We progress because there is a need to progress because the training would otherwise not be difficult enough to get best gains. So for example, here's how progression arises in hypertrophy training. You train one week, right? A certain, let's say, relatively difficult level, you know, some degree close to failure, some number of repetitions, some amount of weight, and some number of working sets, right? We sort of impose this training volume and intensity, so on and so forth, on the individual and we see the response. If the response has <clears throat> robust indicators that a hypertrophic effect is likely imposed and has robust indicators that a considerable amount of fatigue has been imposed as well, then a progression is not really indicated because the training is clearly really good, right? It's very, very stimulative, so no need to change anything there. And the training, uh, if it's very fatiguing, Progression is, to some extent, precluded by the fact that if you continue to progress past what is already very fatiguing, fatigue is going to skyrocket. It is going to accumulate beyond what is you know you're able to recover from from week to week, and then you won't be able to train productively anymore because you'll be too beat up. Right. So if that's the case, if we look at our how our training was last week and we notice that it was very good on all grounds, we may make the very wise decision of just not changing anything, simply repeating the kind of training that we were doing. Now, as you may guess, um, can you still hear me okay, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Yeah, as you may guess, you know, that is not a sustainable way to, to train. It's by simply keeping everything the same, right? So, you know, you can say, okay, if training was good and it was hard, then we'll just repeat it next week. Okay, and how long, so, so what happens next week? Let's say it's, again, unchanged training. Let's say the training is, again, very good and very hard. No change again. And then we go into week three of the same training. And it begins to require quite a bit of imagination to imagine that that identical kind of training is going to be maximally stimulative of muscle growth. 
for any more than two, maybe three weeks, I mean, for the love of God, you know, in advanced individuals and individuals that tend to adapt relatively quickly to training, especially if we start on the low end of training volumes and intensities, which is a good idea for a bunch of other reasons, you know, one or two weeks exposure to the same training means that week two or three, the weeks after that, that same amount of training is going to start rating differently on our autoregulatory feedback uh, factors, right? Uh, it's going to seem that it does not correlate as much to things that cause hypertrophy. Um, it is going to seem to be causing very little fatigue, and which should make us suspicious that we're getting any adaptations because adaptations free of fatigue would be quite the discovery. So what ends up happening is now that we're training, maybe let's say a second week after our first, no changes, the second week might be perceived as, well, probably not growing as much muscle as it could. Because we have adapted, we can train harder, and our bodies need a harder exposure to, to continue to get the best gains. Um, and thus, we, and, and, and of course, the fatigue will be lower. The, the fatigue imposed by that second week will be lower because we're so used to training like that, nothing new, that we're going to have some room to push the training harder because we have room in our cumulative fatigue threshold. So then the reaction in week three is to do something harder, right? And harder in what capacity? is a question that can be addressed in, in fine detail, but it has to be more somehow. Now that more can be generated by the following uh, sort of criteria. First of all, we know for a fact, or fact is a bit, of, a bit of a stretch, we know it's highly likely that your best gains occur between four reps in reserve and zero reps in reserve, right? And let's say you are conservative and you started your training in week one at three reps in reserve. And then, or four reps in reserve, fuck it. We start at four reps in reserve and then we change nothing. And we do week two of training, exactly the same training as we did week one. Well, remember, neural adaptations, architectural adaptations, technique adaptations, and perhaps even a tiny effect of muscle growth itself will mean that you probably get uh, an enhancement in performance, um, you know, in the second week and thus... In the second week, what was four reps in reserve for you in the first is now five reps in reserve or even six reps in reserve. Now, hold on a sec. Five or six reps in reserve is already notably not as effective as uh, four reps in reserve, three or two reps in reserve. So that's definitely just not an option, right? So then the next week in week three will be like, okay, hold on a sec. Week two's training was okay, but it clearly was so far away from failure that it probably just wasn't maximally stimulative. What do we need to do to correct this? And you have one of two options. Either you increase the number of repetitions you do for each set and keep the weight the same, or you increase the weight on the bar and keep the repetitions the same. Of course, you can do some combination of both, but the general approach is you have to make things harder somehow so that in week three, you're now at at least, or sorry, at most four reps from failure, probably something like three reps from failure, and either on your way down an IRR every week, so that, you know, three and then two and then one, and then you deload because the fatigue is too high and you repeat, or at the very least, you know, an average of two to three reps from failure and not trending down the entire time. So as you can see from that example, we impose uh, progress, we impose more and more overload because otherwise the training would get too easy to be optimal. And a very similar thing can be said for volume, except we use slightly different measurements. So for example, if you began training and you got a little bit sore, and then in the next week you repeated that training and you got no soreness whatsoever, and you were able to very easily finish the workout. Uh, you could have done much more, your work capacity is very high, and you were more than recovered, right? Your performance returned back to baseline for week two, and even, even then some, right? So you're more than recovered, and you're not remotely sore, and you even felt like the amount of work you did was very small. We know that, you know, muscle damage competes with hypertrophy at some level, but at very low levels of muscle damage, the more work you do, usually the better. We know that set number correlates, uh, for example, between three work sets and 10 work sets per session. The closer you get to eight to 10, the more your hypertrophy is maximized for that session. So for example, if we started a session at four working sets and the next week we repeated four again, and those four working sets got us no soreness whatsoever, so there's almost no damage interference, very likely. And it was very easy to complete, so we had the work capacity to do it, and our fatigue was very low. 
it starts to be a question of why am I not doing five cents? There is no good answer to that question. The answer is we should probably do at least five sets because that's going to get you closer to optimal hypertrophy. Um, and it's going to allow you to recover uh, just fine still and get you more muscle growth. So when your workouts are way too easy, when you're recovering from them way too easy, when they're not remotely in the area of excessively damaging, uh, the research says that more volume is usually better. Thus, you should be adding volume when indicated to do so. Now, of course, on the other hand, if you're barely being able to match your performance, your reps in reserve are super, super low, the weight you could lift, you're barely lifting it, and you're getting crazy radical soreness that you're barely healing from, you take those indices and you go, what do I do next week? Of course the answer is not to increase volume. It's not to increase intensity. It's not to increase the number of repetitions. Sometimes the answer is to take a deload or a short break and let the fatigue calm down before you ramp back up. So basically, in, in this view, volume progression and intensity progression and repetition progression is autoregulatory in nature. It comes from the need to make training hard enough to be close to optimal when the training is pretty obviously just a bit too easy to get your best gains. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you would say that you should be trying to either, or at least a successful hypertrophy training plan, you should be trying to increase your repetitions either increase or decrease the the reps and reserve so the proximity to failure by either increasing the weight or the repetitions and then if you're not feeling sore then that means you should be adding more volume through way of sets because obviously more closer to failure or more weight on the bar or more reps increase actually increases the overall uh, mathematical volume but if you're not feeling soreness that's when you feel there's a time to add in more volume through more sets. Is that correct? Yeah, and there's a number of other proxies which we use, not just soreness. But generally speaking, if you're recovering very well and you're on the lower end of the scientifically recommended volume ranges, then more volume is probably a good idea because it's probably going to lead to more hypertrophy. Um, the thing is, if you're incredibly sore or your performance is down or you're incredibly damaged, and performance and damage correlate very well, actually, then clearly you're not even recovering or barely recovering from the current levels of volume. Probably not a good idea to go up because then you risk doing too much volume past the point at which you recover, which you know, ex exceeds your MRV. And thus, you're almost guaranteed to get no gains at all, if not muscle losses. So yeah, I would absolutely characterize it like that. Now, the decision whether or not to increase repetitions, weight, or some combination of the two is very contextual. I, I can address that if you'd like, but it's it's much, much smaller of a concern than something has to increase in difficulty. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. So I guess my question would be, let's say for somebody who's advanced or if, if we want to make adaptations, we need to be increasing volume over time. Does that mean that in five years time, if you want to make progress, you have to be lifting more volume? Because you did explain to me in person about how it's not just absolute volume, but how the intramuscular forces are at work. So for example, one example you explained to me was let's say you're doing back squats and then you do leg extensions but if you decide all of a sudden to do leg extensions first and then back squats your absolute volume is going to be significantly reduced simply just due to the fact that you can't lift as much on the squat now so if somebody was looking at volume in an absolute sense that would that would actually not kind of play into the rule of volume needs to go up over time yeah volume needs to go up over time is not a rule the rule is you need to make sure to train your body with enough stimulus to get at robust level of adaptations. The amount of volume that counts as a robust stimulus may increase, but if you're looking at volume mathematically, it's almost always going to be the case that volume goes up over the training career. If you look at volume from the perspective of number of hard sets, it actually tends to peter out over the course of three to five years and then may even go down later because as you get stronger, the um, uh, absolutely stronger, right? You go from squatting 100 kilos to squatting 150 kilos. The amount of stimulus per any repetition goes up a lot. In addition to that, your technique gets better uh, and your mind-muscle connection gets better. So you're able to make every repetition more hypertrophic, even if we discount to the fact that it was already more hypertrophic because it was heavier and produced more force. 
So now you're essentially more efficient with your training as your training age expands, assuming you're not completely retarded and just have no idea what you're doing and just banging your head against the wall, right? Most people learn something about making their exercises more effective for them over time. Um, and uh, if you add in that with the load increase that you tend to experience as you get stronger, the number of hard sets doesn't have to go up, right? It cycles between low and high at various phases of training. But in general, you know, if you do five sets of 10, uh, with 60 kilos on the squat, you know, that's going to be a very, very robust amount of stimulus and fatigue for someone who's not very experienced. Um, you know, eventually you may get up to doing roughly 10 sets of 10 sort of in a session at a hundred kilos for someone that's, you know, five years into training, quite advanced and very muscular. And they need that much training volume in order to get their best gains. Now, if someone's squatting 150 kilos, eight sets, <laughs> Uh, at, you know, eight years into their training or 10 years into their training, eight sets with 150 kilos, eight sets of 10 may be more than enough to stimulate the, the highest levels of adaptation. And any more than that would just be excessively fatiguing, right? So what's really super important isn't to proactively drive volume. I think that's actually usually a bad idea, right? You, you're, not, you're not supposed to be looking over the, the course of your career and being like, fuck, I'm not doing enough volume. I should be doing more by now. I've been training for five years. You should be looking over your current way that you respond to training and saying, am I training with enough uh, enough volume to get really good pumps, to get good strength gains over time, uh, that I'm getting a really good mind-muscle connection, that I'm getting uh, lots of perce perceived tension in the muscle, and uh, am I getting, um, you know, at least a little bit sore or at least all, almost almost sore if I'm doing a very high frequency program do I feel fatigued from this because if I don't it's probably not maximally hypertrophic and if you can check all those boxes then you're clearly doing enough volume but if for example you know even if you're doing more volume five years from when you started but you you don't get sore at all I mean not even close you're not even fit, hardly fatigued you get no pumps from training or barely any pumps. As soon as you almost start to get a pump, you quit, you stop training because you just, oh, that's, that's enough sets is what I wrote down in my notebook. Um, and if you perceive your training to be incredibly easy, you're saying, well, like, I just, you know, training is just not that hard, right? Um, then, you know, it's doubtful that you're going to be getting very good hypertrophy. So based on autoregulation, yes, on average, your mathematical volume will almost certainly go up through most of your training career, though that's offset a little bit by technical enhancements and mind-muscle connection enhancements. And then in addition to that, your uh, set volume, the like number of hard sets that you're doing per week or per session, uh, you know, will be going up for the first five years, a little, you know, to some extent, not a huge extent. And then it'll probably be stable for uh, maybe years five to 10 and even decline in some of those years because that uh, you're getting so strong and learning to use your body in such efficient ways that you don't need that much volume to continue to grow. Yeah, I remember watching a video from uh, Lane Norton a couple of years ago. And he was saying that, I think it might have been his DVD at the time. DVDs are big. Yeah, that's uh, a long time ago. Look, yeah. look at you showing your age. Yeah, it, it was his prep. So I was a big Lane Norton fanboy. So I brought his, his prep DVD. I think it's called Unleashed. And he was saying that he was training, like he was doing five, five days a week. He was training for like three hours. And he mentioned at some point that he needed to train that much because his volume had increased so much over his training career that that's the amount of volume he now needed to make any sort of noticeable progress so i guess thinking that way i usually train like an hour or so and i'm fairly advanced i mean i still got a couple a good few more years but if i'm thinking that way i'm like how am i going to fit more volume i'm not really getting that much stronger because i don't train for strength specifically does do i need to increase my set in the five to thirty rep range I am, but slowly. So, I mean, I could significantly increase my volume by increasing sets. Obviously, I could increase my volume by like 20% by simply just adding in extra sets. But does that means then that my absolute number of sets are going to go up over time. So, the what are your kind of thoughts on that? In terms of just, your, you know, as you get older and as you get more advanced, so think of like the likes of like Jeff Alberts. He's like doing hardly any sets. Like, how does he actually progress? Because... His 30 years of training or whatever it is, he hasn't really gotten significantly stronger in the last 10 years. He has made some small but noticeable progress. He hasn't done more sets. He hasn't necessarily done more reps. So how do you kind of quantify how, how yeah. he progresses at all? How much, how much more lean body mass do you think he's carrying versus 10 years ago? 
I'd say 15 kilos. No, I'm joking. I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it's probably it's probably minimal. But I mean, what what is going on there? Because like it's it's interesting. You talk about like how as we get better mind muscle connection, we can improve our, our basically intramuscular forces. So do you think that there's possibility that as you say age or if time restriction is an issue Experience. that we can start to yeah we can start to do things like intensity techniques or pre-exhaustion that will give us the same results so if you're so if you're like in the gym for two hours five times a week you're like i'm just sick of this i'm not enjoying it anymore do you think that you could just pre-exhaust everything and get way better intramuscular forces and grow that way even though you're technically cutting down your absolute volume by a lot uh, yes, I, I, I wouldn't look at absolute volume, which is why I don't, you know. Um, what you want to look at is, is, am I doing enough to stimulate the local musculature I'm trying to grow uh, to get close to optimal, my best estimate of what optimal adaptations really are? And so as long as you're checking those boxes, you should be viewing it as a perspective of, I'm doing what it takes, how that ends up uh, occurring is really just, it's not up to me, you know. Um, it, it's, uh, it just, that's how the, the cards laid out and that's okay. So for example, if it seems that you're getting your best workouts doing dumbbell presses and, uh, you know, in, in your first several years of training, okay, you got dumbbell presses in your first several years of training, you're getting great workouts with 10 sets of dumbbell presses per session, let's just say, okay. And then over the years, you sort of learn that the barbell gives you a much better mind muscle connection. And uh, you also learn how to pre-exhaust your chest with uh, some uh, dumbbell flies. And you notice that like, actually six or seven sets total between those two exercises checks all the boxes of how pumped you're getting, how sore you're getting, your performance improvements over multiple months. It checks all the same boxes as 10 sets of dumbbell presses were. Is that a problem because it's lower mathematical volume? No, it's not a problem at all. It's a solution, right? So my question to Jeff Alberts would be, hey, Jeff, you know, are you feeling challenged in the gym? He may say yes. So are you getting regular pumps from your training? He would say, well, yeah, for sure. And are you feeling, you know, uh, lactic acid accumulation in the muscles that's relatively debilitating, you know, when you're doing higher reps? Totally. You know, so are you feeling a lot of tension perception, the uh, sort of very damaging tension perception through the muscle when you're doing very low reps? Yes, absolutely, right. Are you feeling like, you know, you are challenging your recovery abilities regularly in your training are you pushing the limits to some extent he would say maybe yeah sure and then i don't have any more questions to ask him because if all those things are true he's probably doing enough volume right uh i have no idea if they're true for him whatsoever it would be preposterous and insulting for me to speculate on his exact situation right i think asking jeff alberts for that that info would be much more productive but you know it's not one of these things where it's like oh you know back when he was in his 30s he did 10 sets and now he only does five and how do you explain that? The beginning of that explanation is he probably hasn't grown much muscle in the interim, which is, you know, sounds really obtuse to say, but it's probably nonetheless true. And he probably has grown some um, because of his ability to be really in touch with his training, probably because he's maybe doing less volume now and emphasizing more recovery, which could actually fuel better gains. I mean, the, the point isn't to do more volume until you're toasted and fucking broken. The point is to dose volume appropriately so that you're getting your most robust adaptations. And sometimes people spend years training with higher volumes than are optimal, and then they drop their volumes and they get even better gains. I've done that before. So it's not like you sort of magically desensitize to volume and you forever need higher volumes. All it takes is a one-week deload and you're desensitized, um, or sorry, re resensitized to most volume again. You take a four-week low volume phase, you come back to training like you fucking barely have ever trained, right? So your volume sensitivity is super high. That's an easy, easy fix. So, uh, but nonetheless, that you can be in the situation where it it may take a way more volume than it ever took uh, for you to continue to get gains. So the Lane Norton example is very possible, right? It just, uh, what I want to know is, you know, between Lane Norton and Jeff Alberts, are they filling out that checklist appropriately? Are they getting the good pumps? Are they getting challenged in the gym? Are they still recovering on time? If the answer is yes to all those questions, we're just dealing with two different individuals and two different volume demands. Uh, and both of them can be co completely correct. Uh, one of them may have been pushing volume too hard back in the day, and one of them has only now gotten up to where he's pushing volume uh, hard enough to his uh, abilities. Yeah, that's, that's a, a great point, and it leads me into two questions. The first one being, 
do you recommend then periods of lower volume let's say at what you uh, coin your minimum effective volume so that you can resensitize yourself so let's say you, you don't have to end up in that uh, position where you're like i need to push up more volume more volume more volume do you think that there's periods of lower volume will like longer than say like a deload but it's like planned period of, of low volume so that you can resensitize yourself to volume so you don't have to keep going up and up and up yeah i think once every macro cycle which is to say once a year or twice a year so i think uh, about a month of lower volume training or perhaps even just two weeks of what we call active rest which is where you barely do anything are a real good idea to really resensitize for volume and also to, to heal micro tears and little injuries and also to revitalize your psychological uh, attitude and training. You know, um, I very rarely have crises in my own training of like, oh, I don't even feel like doing this anymore. Uh, I very rarely hit motivational plateaus because after after forays into incredibly high volume and intensity periods, I intentionally take time to do very easy training so that my psychology recovers as well as my physiology. So for all of those reasons, I think a two to four week period of lower volume training is a very, very good idea. And it's one of those that I don't need to convince anyone of because it just becomes apparent at some point. You're doing more and more volume, not because you're like, I need more volume to grow. It's because anything less simply doesn't get you pumped and get you sore and get you a perception of effort anymore, right? Your work capacity has begun so high that now you just get much more fatigue out of the volume than you get stimulus, right? And that something mm -hmm. has to, that's a problem, right? That you can't keep going up like that simply because your fatigue tolerance is, uh, uh, you know, will be the cap to your abilities instead of yeah, your, your, your work capacities, your work capacity is basically too good. You need yeah, to actually, sure. Well, it's, you know, your work capacity is really good, but your recovery ability is too bad for your good work capacity. <laughs> and in yeah, addition yeah, to yeah, that, one, one thing that high work capacity tends to do is the very kind of alterations, uh, slowing of fiber types, uh, and, and, and various other things that enhance work capacity, uh, also reduce the magnitude of gain you get for any one session. Um, so every now and again, it, it, you know, if your work capacity is really great, the same ways that it got great uh, are the same things that also means you get less out of every session. You're the people with the highest work capacity are uh, ultra marathoners, right? Mm. I mean, for God's sake, their bodybuilding workouts would be like a sick joke to them. It would be pathetic. They could recover from two bodybuilding workouts every day, probably, as a, not twice a week. But how much do they adapt? They barely grow any muscle because they're all almost all, uh, you know, highly slow twitch. And those are muscle, those are fibers that are incredibly high work capacity. But literally, the way they get there is by by turning off and decommissioning machinery designed to grow muscle. So every now and again, you got to turn back the clock go to really low volumes to reinvigorate the machinery that is designed to grow muscle. And that will reduce your work capacity, which is no big deal because it enhances the sensitivity to a stimulus. So doing things like cardio, which some people do to increase their work capacity. So I've, I've heard people saying, well, I'm going to do some aerobic ac activity in my off season, not for fat loss, but so I can increase my work capacity. I think that's actually a bad idea because we don't want our work capacity to go up too high and we let the, the actual progressive volume over time uh, do that because we don't want our work capacity to basically outpace our recovery capacity. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, I'll put you this way. I don't think it's a problem that your work capacity outpaces your recovery capacity. The problem is your sensitivity to stimulus uh, outpaces your recovery capacity, right? Like the amount gotcha. it would take to get you to grow is no longer a recoverable amount or very, very close to it. So you just can't do it for long. And the thing is your work capacity pushes up uh, your recovery capacity, but it pushes down your sensitivity to stimulus, which is very, very unfortunate. So to answer your question about cardio, cardio can be used to reduce body fat and can be used to keep it lower. Cardio can be used to take your work capacity from total shit, like unable to finish a squat workout of three sets of eight because your lower back cramps. Um, it, cardio can do that and can maintain general health. But if you want cardio to be able to recover from more lifting and you're using cardio to do that, um, or sorry, you want the work capacity to be able to recover from more lifting and be able to do more of it, the best way to do that is sports specific is to lift more. So, you know, people think, oh man, I need better work capacity for my legs. Uh, work up slowly over the course of several months to training your legs four times a week. You'll have all the work capacity in the world. Uh, and by the way, you'll have big legs <laughs> uh, versus, you know, being able to have a crazy work capacity by cardio. 
Now you've built all this machinery for work capacity to literally come at the expense of hypertrophy. And then someone asks you, hey, so what do you have all this machinery for, for work capacity? You're like, to grow. And they're like, mm, but you've cost a bunch of muscle growth getting it. You're like, right, yeah, I should have thought that through. So the cool thing about high volume training or sort of incrementally higher volume training simultaneously gives you a higher work capacity and grows muscle at the same time, a self-solving problem. Yeah, that, that makes like, total sense. Yeah, it's, well, I would give a very simple answer to something like so somebody would ask, you know, um, should I do cardio for wrestling? Uh, my best answer would be, if you need more cardio on top of your normal wrestling, yes, but you should be doing enough wrestling training that most, at least, of your cardio comes from wrestling because it's the most sport-specific, right? How do you get good cardio for wrestling? Fucking wrestle. <laughs> now, sometimes yeah. wrestling that much is uh, untenable because yeah, it's injury, yeah. injury. So then you supplement it with cardio, but that's a good reason to supplement with cardio, whereas the bodybuilding reason, you know, gee, it's, if you know cardio costs you gains or potential for gains, it becomes one of those things you have to dose it very mildly, if at all. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And then from a practical point of view, so my second question would be, let's say I was doing leg press, so something that's not overly technical in terms of like uh, exercise selection, and I was doing three sets for 10 this week. What would be those markers that you kind of talked about, soreness, pumps, that you would look at at the end of a workout or in a couple of days that would dictate whether I increase weight, reps, or sets next week? Yeah. So let's say you hit your sets of 10, 3 by 10. Yeah. Let's say or PE uh, or reps in reserve, two reps in reserve. Two reps in reserve. Sweet. Um, my next question is how many weeks would you like to continue training for? All the weeks, forever. No, I mean, just an off-season training plan with, let's say, like a, a five-week mesocycle or something sure. like that. So in a five-week mesocycle, you don't want to go to failure until the last week because once you go to failure with a high number of sets, you're not going to be able to recover for the next week, right? So if we look at it that way, then we're probably going to want to keep those two reps in reserve um, for this week, next week, and maybe even a week after that. So at least the next two weeks, right? So if you want to keep the reps in reserve, essentially the same for next week, and it was two RIR this week, then you want to adjust the load or repetitions next week by whatever amount will get you to two RIR again, right? And that could be like two and a half kilos on the bar, or it can be one rep added to each set. With me so far? Yep. Cool. And the decision for volume comes from one of, well, how do the three sets of 10 make you feel? First of all, did you get a pump? If you got a really good pump, then you're doing super great. And that by itself probably says you don't need to get any volume added. Um, but let's say you got like not so great of a pump, like barely a pump. Like at the end of set three, you're like, ooh, I'm starting to feel it. But then you're like, man, I could really use another set to get a good pump, but you stopped. And then let's say effort perception was very low. You're like, man, I walked through that workout, right? It was super easy. Uh, and then you didn't get sore at all. And then three days later, when you did your next leg workout, you were like, well recovered. Like there was no challenge to recovery at all because you never even got, uh, you seemingly never even disturbed anything. Right. In, in that case, you, you sort of have the philosophical question of what am I betting will cause me more growth on three sets again or four sets? Right. Uh, and the answer is, well, okay, four sets will probably give me a better pump. It'll probably give me uh, at least get me closer to being sore. Uh, it'll it'll burden my recovery to some extent, which is almost a necessity for, for progressive training. Um, and it's still going to be well within my recovery ability because I was nowhere close to challenging that. Um, and it'll also feel like a bit of effort, uh, which is probably uh, correlates uh, somewhat with program outcome. So you say, well, gee, you know, I think uh, four sets wins all those questions. So then I add four sets or sorry, add four sets. Jesus Christ, go to seven, right? Um, and I add a set, uh, add a set and uh, go to four sets. And then let's say that workout goes just about the same way the three set workout did. And it basically is scored like, oh, you know, barely a pump in this or that. Then you go further. Um, you know, the other hand, so, let's, mm -hmm, go ahead. Yeah, so you'll be at, you'll be increasing the intensity each week anyway. So that will be programmatic. So, you mean, the reps and reserve will be getting closer to zero as you go. And that's more programmatic rather than saying, what well, should I add sets or not? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So, I mean, there's arguments to be made for just staying 2RIR the entire time. The only problem with that is um, there's no good argument for staying at 2RIR in, like, your last week of training. Because why not just go to failure? Or close. Uh, someone say, oh, accumulated fatigue. Well, it's worth it because you have deload anyway, right? And there may be some unique benefits to training very hard because there might be some motor units that are so high threshold. They don't really turn on and get a lot of tension throughput for long at all unless you go one RIR or zero RIR, which is very possible. Um, and 
So it ends up being one of these things where a training program generally ends up having as many reps in reserve as weeks out from deload, uh, unless you repeat some weeks, which is okay to do. So for example, if you have a four-week program, you start at three RIR, then two RIR, then one RIR, then zero RIR, then deload, right? Uh, that sort of progression allows us to really push the volumes, or sorry, to push the intensities and push the reps, get the most we possibly can of our program, because we don't want to succumb to the critique of, well, why did you stop your last week at two RIR? You could have pushed it harder. Well, there's no really good good comeback to that. So we say, um, okay, yeah, I think that two RIR would have been a good idea. So then you start at a lower RIR. Uh, here's a downside of starting at two RIR. Well, let's say you say, I'm going to start at one RIR week one. How long do you think you'll be able to maintain that effort, right? Uh, sure as hell not going to be five weeks, right? It might be two weeks. And because you're going to go one RIR, zero RIR, and then what? You really think you're going to maintain your performance two weeks in a row, multiple sets to failure? Probably not, right? So then you say, okay, well, then what do I do with RIR? Well, you start at more like three or four RIR. And someone could say, well, why not start at six RIR and then have an even longer mesocycle? Well, the answer to that is six RIR has not been shown to be sufficiently difficult to be hypertrophic. Do you see how there's kind of like, kind of this, this gray zone where we want the yeah, whole zone to ourselves. We want all of it because all of it is productive. And the longer we can stretch out a muscle cycle, the more we get to train productively. But if we try to bias it to one end or the other too much, we end up missing on growth or the muscle cycle becomes too short or too long. So there's kind of a, a middle uh, ground there usually between four to six weeks in mesocycle length or three to six weeks. You know, beginners don't, don't really apply because they can drop fatigue so quickly. You can just keep adding for them and they just keep yeah. going, right? But for more advanced individuals, three to six weeks, um, starting at around three RIR, trending downwards, adding some reps, adding some weight, and as needed, adding some sets. So it doesn't really matter between adding weights or reps because if you stick with the same weight but add reps, that will increase the RIR yeah. or decrease the RIR. But if you add weight that will all, and stay with the same reps, that will also increase the intensity. So it's kind of, you know, totally. we're in that rep range of, I, th I think you mentioned that you think that probably 10 to 20 is more, uh, you know, more conducive to hypertrophy yeah, than 5 to 30. It's more yeah. of a guess, but I will say that there may be advantages to training a variety of rep ranges and also uh, advantages to training in specific rep ranges in specific times. So what you might want to do is like, you can add reps so long as you don't leave the rep range. Like, let's say you start at your first set of laterals, show dumbbell laterals for shoulders is 18 reps. You don't want to train that for 12 weeks and be at 32 reps or sorry, at like 28 reps. Cause that's like, once you go over 30, then it's, you just lose, you start to lose games. Right. So yeah, so that's part two of the critique, right? <laughs> so, so you know, once you go outside of your target rep range, your specificity drops and you're sort of not doing what you intended to do. So I would say that rep increases are okay so long as they don't leave the target rep range. And then in addition to that, I think that, um, you know, past 30, you definitely should be increasing weight because you don't want to go match past 30 reps because, you know, the efficiency of, of uh, yeah. uh, gains drops. The stimulus to fatigue ratio might drop off as well. Um, and then at that point, you know, Weight versus reps within those constraints is roughly equivalent, but usually, you know, weight's very easy to add on barbell movements. And a lot of times weight can be added with a very small increment. So for example, if you're an advanced squatter and you're just doing sets of eight, you don't just go to sets of nine the next week. Holy fuck, that's a huge PR by itself. And you sure as hell don't do that for four weeks. I mean, can you imagine if you put your close to your eight rep max on the bar and you did it for three sets of five in the first week? And then by the end of your five-week progression, you did it for like six sets of nine. I mean, holy crap. <laughs> that just doesn't happen for advanced lifters. No. So a lot of times weight additions are much better for advanced lifters because they can go in such small increments with the big exercises. Yeah. But then again, for dumbbells, you lift the 10 kilo dumbbells, you're not going to go to the 15s next week. That's crazy, right? You don't squat 100 kilos one week and go to 150 the next week. It's the same jump. So maybe adding repetitions there in sets of 10 or sets of 12 will be much more conducive to those small increments that we have to do in order to keep our reps in reserve where we want them. Yeah, it's, it's basically whatever is most conducive to a small increase in intensity. Yes, to the to the or to the needed increase in difficulty that keeps our RIR either the same as it was last week or a little bit less, which is generally what we want to see with hypertrophy training. Yeah, that, that's, that makes complete sense. So, Mike, we're almost coming up on time. So I got some rapid-fire questions that I asked on uh, Instagram. Okay. So I just want you to give a, a quick answer to these. Some of these you could probably spend a whole podcast talking to, but uh, just a, a very short answer for each one. So first one. Are there any general conditioning landmarks you use for combat sport athletes? Uh, K1 
can you survive two back-to-back hard rounds? If not, you need more conditioning. Pretty good. Uh, what do you think of a plant-based diet? I hate the term. Hate just barely begins to describe it. Any So a diet that has uh, 30% exclusively animal products and 70% plants is plant-based. Because when you call something based, it is to assume that the base of it is what we're talking about um, and not the entirety of it. I think the term people are really should be using is vegan diet because we have a fucking term for that already. And it's a fine term. And I think veganism has incredibly uh, great upsides in potentially small upsides in environmental impact, though I'll say those are minor, massive upsides in the morality and ethical treatment of animals that are very, very good to consider. I highly encourage people to consider a vegan diet. Um, and if you want it to maximize muscle growth, then it's, it's, it's probably possible to get to very close to maximum muscle growth, just making sure you do the vegan diet right and supplementing properly. You don't have to eat meat to get really, really good gains. But the term plant-based diet drives me to no fucking goddamn end. <laughs> what are your thoughts on dog crap training? I think any training that's called dog crap is fucking stupid, but <laughs> self-definitionally. But no, on a serious note, I think uh, dog crap training is really cool because it has a progressive overload system built into it, similar to the one I just described, actually, right? Like if you get stronger, add more reps, right? Or you add more weight. Um, and, and that makes it very, very, um, in very, very spare, sparse company in bodybuilding training circles, which mostly are just, there is no progression built in because people are too fucking stupid to think about that. Um, so generally, I think BC training is really cool. My critiques of it is that it goes to failure all the time, which is not great. Uh, not terrible, but not great. And that I would love to see a progression in volume as well as um, relative intensity. What's your dream research study and uh, topic and met- method of analysis? Uh, oh, yeah, I have an easy one for this. Uh, and people are going to get pissed, but they did say dream. Uh, my dream research study is to have millions of cohorts of individuals living in Truman Show style lives, but they have no idea what's <laughs> going on. And we impose various uh, nuanced hypertrophy training and diet program differences to them. So we have insane sample sizes That's and hilarious. we can really get at what optimal uh, really is. Mm-hmm. Oh, we get to dissect Bo- them afterwards. Bo- bodybuilding. <laughs> bodybuilding big brother. Yes, 100%, but like way worse, like the bodybuilding matrix. <laughs> when adding sets um do you add another set at the same weight or do you add a down set i think that's a jordan peter jordan peters uh term but down set is like a back off set yeah so uh it depends hey, are you going to be in your target rep range if you add the set with the same weight if the answer is yes then you keep the same weight if the answer is nope i'm going to fall out of my target rep range then you probably do a down set so for example if you're doing squats in the five to ten rep range and you're doing six sets and you want to add a seventh set but if you add a seventh set at the weight you're using you're going to get like three reps add a set at a lighter weight so you can get at least five reps so stick with rp across the set yep or 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 whatever yeah or uh, and and the the rep range that you desire yep uh thoughts on the movie game changers i don't know if you watched that i i, the... I uh, so uh, a couple things i haven't seen it i'm almost certainly not going to see it i don't watch propaganda movies for fun um I, uh, here, oh, here's my dream study. Fuck the study. Here's my dream movie. I'm going to make a movie called Another Vegan Propaganda Film. And it's going to be the same movie released every year. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to probably dig up an old post I had. I actually, fuck, man. I actually d- did a TEDx talk where uh, I ended the talk with saying, it's just a matter of time until another nutritional propaganda movie comes out that's going to try to tell you that healthy eating is this and that versus the actual balanced scientific perspective. Be on the lookout because it's coming, okay? Here it is. <laughs> I gave that talk like two years ago. Game changers. Uh, and I mark my words, in about two or three years, another vegan movie will come out. And by the way, there's going to be a fucking carnivore movie and there's going to be a fucking paleo. There's all kinds of shit. Uh, it's fad bullshit. Uh, the vegan diet has the innumerable advantages that I listed some of them earlier, but it's not the end-all be-all. Other diets have really great advantages. There's many, many ways to eat healthy. And this kind of crisis epidemic style view of nutrition where celebrities and quote unquote scientists talk about it as pure dog shit for, for people that are very fucking gullible. Waffles or pancakes? Oh, Jesus. That's the fucking shit. Uh, waffles. But don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, what's your opinion on negative or eccentric training as a way to go all out before a deload? Um, it's okay as long as it's safe. It can get into real deep shit because you can just go straight to eccentric failure and then you're, you're 
Uh, I suppose that will that mm-hmm. will massively increase soreness, which could, uh, you know. Well, it's for deload, right? So you're good to go. You know, as long yeah. as you're not doing it so much, uh, you know, um, you don't try to do everything you can before deload, just a little more than you're used to, right? So if you radically introduce a new variable and get so sore that you mostly spend time healing from damage instead of adapting, you went too far. So two final questions. Um, Hit me. We've got a ton, but uh, opinions on rack pulls for tra- for traps hypertrophy? Yeah, they're great, but they cost a lot of axial fatigue and systemic fatigue, so I prefer just doing shrugs. All right. And the final question is, when massing, what is the optimal body fat percentage for growth? Yeah, we're not really sure about that, but myself and a few others suspect it's between uh, somewhere between 10 and 20% body fat. They maybe oh, so about 8, 8 and 20%. Um, and if we have to get more specific, it's something like 10 and 15, but those are very, very general numbers and the optimality doesn't drop off like crazy. If you mass to 21%, you don't automatically start gaining pure fat, but if you're much fatter than 20% as a male and for females, all these are up by about five to 7%. Uh, if you're a male and you're much over 20%, you know, it's probably good. You'll probably get better muscle, muscle growth results if you're a little leaner. And if you're under 8% or 10% body fat, you should probably be massing for a long time before you think about cutting. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Uh, that was very, very insightful, and I appreciate you coming on. Dude, my pleasure. Thanks so much. I got to get going. Um, Where can cool people find I... out more? Oh, I'm sorry. Fuck. Yeah. Um, dude, you don't want to find out more about me. Stay the fuck away from me, people. That's the only advice I have. Um, just kidding. Renaissance Periodization, RP Strength on Instagram is the company I have with all the books and articles and things of that nature, apps and stuff. And then at RP Dr. Mike on Instagram, R-P-D-R-M-I-K-E. And Mike is on Facebook, though Facebook is dying a slow death. I'm still on there. Uh, and um, I guess I have a whole lot of YouTube videos now. Um, uh, if you go to Renaissance Periodization on YouTube uh, or you Google RP Plus Mike and James, you know, every week we do a YouTube uh, webinar where we answer people's questions through RP Plus. And that's really cool. So if you get bored and you need cardio uh listening then just go on youtube or type in mike is retail podcast and there's a whole bunch of my shit on so that was episode number six with dr mike israel i hope you found it very useful i really enjoyed recording that episode with dr mike and you can find all of the links to mike's social media profiles and renaissance periodization down in the show notes as well as the timestamps as per usual I hope that you join me for the next episode. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be a little bit different, but I think that most people who are into this kind of overall self-improvement, self-development will really enjoy the next episode. So please do make sure to check back in next week to come in and join me on that episode. Again, if you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave a rating and review. And if you have any questions or feedback, you can get me at Instagram, adammac192, or you can email me, at adam at healthmastery.co and all of those details again are in the show notes so i look forward to you chatting to you in the next episode